This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. So, Dusty Smith, I am so excited to hear your story and to share it with share it with the world. Um, Dusty is a managing attorney, correct? Yes. Managing attorney, former city councilman, and former lieutenant colonel. Um, anything else you want to add? Do you have, you know, kids, family, uh, pets? I've, I've wife? got a beautiful wife. I've got three children. Uh, three dogs. One is 210 pounds. Oh my I've got goodness. three snakes and four lizards. So. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. <laughs> well, cool. Awesome. Well, so Dusty, I'm just going to kind of let you take it away. Uh, I know your story is amazing and I'm, I'm so excited to, to hear it. So go ahead, start wherever you want. Well, let's, as we said, the sound of music, let's start at the very beginning. Perfect. Um, I was born in 1960. Uh, my, um, my dad left when I was five before, before he left, he, he was not a nice man when he drank and he drank a lot. Uh, when I was five, I told my mother, she would come in and she would hold me. And I, I told her, I said, I'm not going to ever drink. And I never have. Um, I, I just didn't want to ever become like that. You know, I never wanted to become an alcoholic. And, and uh, I was raised then by my mother, my grandfather and my grandmother. Now, my grandfather was Catholic. My grandmother was Baptist. And my mother was Lutheran. And I went to all three. I wasn't ever sure if I should stand, sit, kneel, sprinkle, dunk, or pour. But uh, but I, I did learn to love the Lord. And um, I think that was the most important thing in my life was, was the fact that I've always loved the Lord. Now, when I was in college at the University of Texas, I had a, there was a, thing that happened that made me angry at God. I, uh, a family friend, uh, she was about 13 running home from school, thought the glass doors of her house were open. They were closed. Uh, she ran through the glass door, fell on a piece of glass that pierced her throat and, um, and was killed. Mm. And I got very angry with God, uh, stopped going to church. Uh, this is my third year of college. My junior year and um, just had nothing to do with God. The year after I, gra- I graduated from U- University of Texas in 1982, the following year, 83, I had gone home to visit my mother. Well, uh, I went home to wash my clothes. Um, it was free and the fridge was always full. And I, I went to my old bedroom. I used to, to collect Louis L'Amour Westerns. And I wanted to read a Louis L'Amour Western. And my mother had been to Salt Lake City on business and somebody had given her a book of Mormon and she had put on a bookshelf in my old bedroom. So as I'm going through the Louis L'Amour books to pick one to read while I'm washing clothes, the book of Mormon falls off my bookshelf. And I sat down and picked it up and opened it up, just opened it. And it happened to open up to third Nephi and I began to read and, and I was very intrigued. So I, uh, I called, I, I went to the, got the phone book. And, and at this point in a lot of my firesides, I have to explain that a phone book's about this big 
and it has names and phone numbers in it. And if you're really short, you'd use it to sit on the chair at the, you know, at the dinner table. Um, but this is where, you know, y'all are really strange because, you know, if, if I want to go to, if I want to call a Catholic church, it says parish. If I want to call a Baptist church, it says, you know, church, <laughs> but not y'all. There was wards and there was stakes. I had no idea who to call, but it was lunchtime and I was hungry. So I called the stake <laughs> and her story. And, and the, uh, somebody answered the phone. They, they had, uh, they said, you know, I'm never here during the week, but I forgot something on Sunday. I came by here at lunch to pick it up and it was the stake president. So we chatted for a few minutes and he got me in touch with the missionaries who I met at the university ward in Austin, Texas. Um, and a few short weeks after that, I was baptized. 1983. I was a college graduate and I had a job. And immediately people would walk up and they'd say, you know, you should serve a mission. And I would say, <laughs> no, uh, I'm an adult now. I, I, I have a job. I have a degree. Not going to serve a mission. And then somebody else would walk up and they'd say, you know, you should serve a mission. And I would say, I'm, I'm adulting, not going to do the mission thing. Uh, I have a job. Uh, somebody else would walk up. And this went on for several, you know, I would say, I'm never going to go on a mission. So anyway, while I was at the MTC, um, <laughs> I was 24 when I went on my mission and I quit a job to go on my mission. And of course, my family... Uh, my family thought I was crazy. A lot of my family and friends turned their back on me when I got baptized. Well, then when I quit a job making money to go on a mission where I was going to work for, for 18 months and not make any money, they thought I was absolutely insane. Um, and I felt like I was babysitting at the MTC. Here, I am 24 years old, a college graduate, a lot of 19-year-olds who have never been away from home before. And they're running up and down the halls at the, in the dorm and they're doing, and I finally, I thought, you know what, if nobody cares if I'm here, I'm going home. So I went to the pay phone and I called the church headquarters in Salt Lake City. And a lady answers the phone. I said, if nobody cares if I'm here, I'm going home. And she said, would you hold please? And I said, sure. And I hear, I, you know, a few seconds pass and that voice gets on the phone and says, elder, if nobody else cares, if you're on a mission, I do. My name is L. Tom Perry. <laughs> wow. And so he and I had a chat and, and he realized that I, you know, I didn't have a lot of family support, no background in the church or anything. And, and so, uh, he asked if he could be my pen pal on my mission. So, uh, elder Perry was my pen pal on my mission. Wow. When I got my mission, he wanted me to come up to Salt Lake and, uh, and give him a mission report. So I did. Oh my uh, gosh. After my mission, I went to law school and I went to law school in a foreign country. Uh, well, Michigan. And, um, and in my third year of law school, I went to Palmyra to the pageant and this was 1989. And, um, I discovered something and encountered something I had never encountered before, and that was uh, anti-Mormons. And 
uh, I debated with him and I thought I did okay, but I came back from that experience and I wanted to know more about the church. Cause I only had about six years experience in the church, you know, not a lot of, and most, some of that was on a mission. So I didn't have a lot of background of history and, and doctrine other than what I had learned at the MTC and, and et cetera. And so I began to read all these old doctrine books, all these old history books, trying to learn more stuff. And I began to read things that I had never heard before. And the more that I read, um, the more questions I had. And back in 89, if you had questions, you were kind of out of luck because you were told, don't, 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 don't have, you know, don't worry about it. Just have faith. Just have faith. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like if you're going to hide the truth from me, you're going to hide stuff, you're, you know, then it's not true. Mm-hmm. And I woke up one day in November of 89 and I realized that I no longer had a testimony. And uh, I wrote the church, the stake press, the stake. And I said, uh, in Michigan. And I said, uh, take my name off church records. And a few weeks later, I got a letter from the stake saying I've been excommunicated. Um, and that made me very angry and I became an anti-Mormon. And so, uh, and anybody who knows my, my, my past knows that I don't do anything halfway. I was a very vocal anti-Mormon. I wrote articles. I went to churches and taught, you know, taught churches about the LDS church, how bad they were. I would stop missionaries on the street and argue with them. Um, in about 1999, I, I, I discovered that I could go on the internet and, and argue with people from the comfort of my own home. And I found a, a board called what do Mormons really believe? And I went to go tell them. And, uh, I met a guy named Mike on that board and, and the people on the board hated me because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a nice debater. I will go for the jugular. I, I absolutely do not. I mean, I, I'm not nice when I debate. And well, I'm back then anyway. And um, I met a guy named Mike. Mike and I had these just really bad debates and didn't like each other very much. But 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 we over time began to like each other and we became really good friends. And I, I, I told him that, that I would never join the church again, but, but I, I liked him as, you know, as a friend, he was my friend and I, you know, we, we could talk, but he began putting my name in the temple every week. And I got mad at him for that. I said, you know, false God, false temple, stop doing that. But he never did. He, he put my name in the temple every week for 20 years. Um, in 2009, I went down to Mexico to do a deposition <clears throat> and I came back with a souvenir, the swine flu. And I mean, it was bad and, and, and I'm a disabled veteran. So I get my care at the VA and I called the VA and I said, I'm dying. And they said, what symptoms do you have? And I said, the, the ones you get when you're dying. And they said, have you been to Mexico? And I said, yes. They said, don't come here. I could not get a doctor to see me. They were too afraid I'd get them sick or get their patients sick. So I'm laying in my deathbed 
in Dallas, Texas, um, on the second floor of, of, of my home. And I knew I was going to die. People were dying everywhere. We'll never know how many died from swine flu. We know it was hundreds of thousands around the world, but we don't know how many because not everybody was getting tested like they did for COVID. Mm-hmm. We were just dying. And uh, I knew I was going to die. I, you know, I was really, 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 really sick. And uh, knock on my door, and it was two LDS missionaries. And my youngest, my, sorry, my oldest boy inexplicably lets them into my house. Worse, he brings them up to my deathbed. And one of them looks at me and, and he says, you're sick. And I remember thinking to myself, the spirit is really strong in that one. Um, and one of them said, can we give you a blessing? And I said, will it get you out of my house? And they said, yes. And I said, then give me your blessing. So they laid their hands on my head and gave me a, a, a blessing, blessing of healing. And I was immediately healed. Oh, my gosh. I'm not, I'm not saying that I got better over the next few days. I'm saying in that moment, my fever broke. I stopped sweating. I was able to stand up for the first time in several days. I was able to stand up. And I walked them downstairs to the front door and said, do not ever come back to my house. Um, that's how much I hated uh, the church. Uh, in, in 2014, I joined a different board to argue with Mormons. And the board, uh, I, my, my screen name was Country Boy. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm on this board arguing with people. And this girl messages me. Her name is Garden Girl. And Garden Girl says, I feel strangely drawn to you. Do you mind if we communicate? And I wrote her back and I said, that would be fine, Garden Girl. However, I must warn you, I am married. And she rolled back and she said, I'm 75. Get over yourself. <laughs> uh, and, and one day she said, do you mind if we, if we have a chat on the phone? I don't want to type. And I said, okay. I still only knew her as Garden Girl. I, I, I didn't know her name. She didn't know my name. And so we're talking on the phone and she says, do you have any family in the church? And I said, I do not. I said, well, I might. I said, back when I was a member in the eighties, I heard of somebody that was a family member, never met him, never talked to him, but his name is Dean Jesse. And he's a big mucky muck in the church, but I've never met him. If he's still alive, then yes, I do. And there was a long pause. And then, by the way, before I say this, Dean Jesse, if you don't know who he is, is the church historian emeritus. The book series that Joseph Smith papers, it's his baby. Um, but anyway, there's a long pause, and she says, Dean Jesse's your cousin? And I said, well, if he's alive, yeah. And she said, Dean Jesse's my cousin. Turns out that this woman is a cousin of mine who I never knew existed, um, and, and she was strangely drawn to me. Wow. Uh, also in 2014, my wife was, was uh, given an opportunity for a, for a promotion, but it would require her moving to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but the words promotion and Baton Rouge, Louisiana do never belong in the same sentence. Uh, but she said, should I take this job? And I said, you know, it's, it's your dream to get this promotion. 
So, well, we, we made a plan, and the plan was this, that she would go to Louisiana and live there, and I would visit her uh, once a month. We'd meet in Shreveport, and because and, her district ran from Texas to Florida, and they wanted her there, and she would travel around, and we would visit, and then she would keep that job until the same position opened up in Texas, and she moved back to Texas. And I would, in the meantime, stay in Texas. I had a good job with a law firm, and we had a we had a nice house, and uh, so she did. She she went, and and in January 2015, she had taken that district from in the 40s in her company up to in the top four. And her reward for that was they called her, and they said. Uh, we're going to close your district. We're going to send you your severance paperwork. So she called me. She says, what do I do? I said, come back home. We'll figure it out. But the very next day, the president of the company, vice president of the company called her and said, don't go to, to go, go, don't go home. There's an opening and the same opening is open in Baltimore, Maryland. We're going to send your paperwork up there. It's a two week vetting process for any of these moves, but stay in Shreveport, I mean, to stay in Baton Rouge until we get you that, you know, get that position for you in, 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 uh, in Baltimore. So she said, should I do that? I said, sure, because we have the plan. I won't visit you once a month in Baltimore, but you'll do that until the position opens up in Texas and you can move back, uh, move back to Texas. So I called Mike, my friend, and I said, Mike, do me a favor and pray for Susan to get this position in Baltimore. We'd like her to stay with the company until she's for at least until she's vested. And Mike said, "I will pray for I will pray for that." Now, at this point in my life, the smart thing would have been to say, "Thank you, Mike," and hang up the phone. <laughs> but, but no, I said, "However, Mike, ha ha, if God really wants me to come back to the church, He will send Susan to Utah." Now, I was very comfortable with that because there were no openings in Utah. I knew that. But the very next day, the person in the Utah position retired. And the very next day, Susan's paperwork was transferred from Baltimore to Utah. And she was hired immediately without the two weeks vetting. Wow. And I called Mike and I said, you're not going to believe this, but Susan's going to Utah. And Mike said, well, you know what you told God? And I said, I was just joking. And he said, God wasn't. So I hit my knees and I said, okay, if this is what you want, that's great. But for 26 years, I've had issues. And none of your apologetics work. The apologetics that I hear from people do not work. I need answers. And over the next several weeks, I'd wake up in the middle of the night with a new answer that I'd never heard before until I woke up one day in March of 2015 and I had my testimony back. And I called Mike and I bore my testimony and Mike wept. Uh, a few weeks later, I went to see Susan here in, in Salt Lake. She was living in an apartment. It was a three-day weekend. Um, for me, it was Easter weekend and, and I, my office had good Friday off. So I had a, a three day weekend and it was our anniversary. Uh, Susan and I were married on April fool's day, April 1st night. Uh, you know, we thought that was appropriate. 
Um, and I came to visit her. Now, every day, I, I can't run because of my bad knee from the army, but I, I walk and I walk five miles every day. And I was out doing my walk and the Lord said, this is home now. And I said, no, it's not. I, I live in Texas. And I, I heard it again. This is home now. And I said, no, I have a job paying me a lot of money and I have a house. You may have seen it, Lord. And the Lord said, this is home now. And I said, no, no, it's not. Susan doesn't want to live here forever. We have a plan. And I get back to the apartment and I said, hey, Suze, out of curiosity, what do you think about Utah? And she said, I've been wondering how to bring it up to you, but I don't ever want to leave. So I said, okay. So I went home and I called a realtor to sell the house. And I, I quit my job with no job here. The Lord said, move, you move. And um, a realtor came to look at my house and he said, you're never going to sell this house. And I said, why? He says, well, it was built in, 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 in uh, 1929. It had a lot of issues. And he said, you, if, you, if you fixed up all the issues, you'd never get what the house is worth. But you can't sell it like this. It won't pass inspection. I said, okay. Uh, so I, I called Suze and said, maybe we can just rent it out. Well, I got rebaptized. The week after I got rebaptized, I got a knock on my door and I answered the door and a guy says, I want to buy your house. And I said, my house is not for sale. And he said, I don't care. I want to buy your house. And I said, Sir, I appreciate that more than you can possibly imagine, but I can't afford to fix it up to sell it to you. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm going to buy it as is. And I said, how much? And he told me, and it was a lot more than the house was worth. Wow. And I called Susan and I told her, and she said, man, when God wants you someplace, he really wants you someplace. Now, the rest of that story is about a year later, I'm sitting in the apartment here in Salt Lake, I get a phone call and a guy says, I want to buy your house in Texas. I said, I've already sold this house. He said, are you sure? I said, pretty sure I was there. He said, did you get the money? I said, and spent it. And he shuffled some papers around. He goes, huh? I said, what? He said, the person that bought your house disappeared. That house is abandoned and in foreclosure. When I was doing a fireside at the women's prison, the oldest woman in the prison sitting in the front row, little short woman, old, she was sitting, the oldest woman in the prison. She says, you should have sold it again. <laughs> and I walked over to her and kneeled down and I said, that would be against the law. <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, I, I, you know, like I, I, I moved to, to Dallas, I mean, to Salt Lake from Dallas. And uh, Susan and I go down to Moab for a, she wanted me to show me the arches because up until then, the only arches I knew was McDonald's. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for her to get ready. I'm in my hotel room and I get a phone call and a woman says, I see you've been on the church website and you want information on church. I said, nope, wasn't me. She said, well, your name and phone number pop up on my screen when you wanted information. And I said, be that as it may, it was not me. And she said, well, then how do you figure I got your name and number to call? I said, I don't know. 
but my computer is in Salt Lake and I'm in Moab. And she said, you remember the church? I said, let me tell you a story. So I told her my story. When I get done, she's crying. She said that she was in the MTC having a crisis of faith and going home. And they put her on, on these phones to call people that want information on a church. And my name and number popped up. And after hearing my story, she wanted to go finish her mission. Wow. A few weeks after that, I get another phone call. Woman says, um, is this Dusty? And I said, yes, it is. And she said, would you please hold for President Uchtdorf? And I went, yes, ma'am. And he gets on the phone with me. And he says, my understanding is that you were anti for 26 years and came back to the church. And I said, that's true. He said, would you come talk to me? So I did. And uh, we, we chatted in his office. And he said he wanted to use my story in general conference. But he wouldn't use my real name. And I said, that's okay. And so October... Uh, general conference in 2016 in the priesthood session, he gives a talk on Alma and Amulek and he tells my story. Uh, in January of 2017, Susan and I go on a date. Well, we went to a gun show. And, and I don't know how people in Utah date, but in Texas, we go to gun shows. Well, I needed a holster because everything we owned was in storage, you know, big house, little apartment. And um, so I, I, I see a table where they're selling holsters. And I go over and I'm talking to the fella. And he says, you're from Texas. And I said, yeah. And he says, what are you doing here? I said, let me tell you a story. And, uh, and he says, wait, that was you that he talked about in general conference? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, can we chat? I said, sure. So he and Susan and I walk over to a quiet little spot in the Sandy Expo Center, and another fellow followed us over. I get done telling my story, and the fellow that followed us over says, you're from Dallas. And I said, yeah. And he said, um, Oak Cliff. And I said, yeah. And he said, you don't remember me, but eight years ago, you had the swine flu. Oh my gosh. I gave you a blessing. Oh my gosh. That just gave me the chills all over. The rest of that story is after his mission, he went inactive. Before the 2016 priesthood session, his bishop said, I've had about enough of your inactivity. Here's a ticket to the priesthood session. He goes to the priesthood session. Here's the talk on Alma and Amulek. And it reactivates him, not realizing that the story was about a person he had given a blessing to eight years earlier. Wow. That is amazing. Now, at this point in my firesides, I typically go into doctrine and, and, and things to look out for and, and things like that. But um, I'll be glad to answer any questions you have about any of this. Yeah. Yes. And I, I have actually a... Um, several questions from followers on Instagram. I, well, the one question that really comes to mind is what do you, with those hard questions in the church, I think nowadays kind of what I've seen is a lot of people, they leave because of those hard questions, you know, and 
obviously you have a lot of experience with hard questions and you've been on both sides and debated those questions and what what advice would you give to people that have those hard questions that are shaking their faith? Typically what I tell people, okay, hard questions are, are a, a, a funny thing when it comes to the church because so many times they deal with issues that really have no bearing on today. Okay, let me give you an example. I've had thousands and thousands of emails and and, and, and messages from people who have heard the story. Um, I did, I did one video that has had a million views and I, you know, tons of people have commented and talked to me and, and the biggest question I get is, is what are my feelings on polygamy? And I always tell them, I, I love it. I got 14 wives. <laughs> now, the, and I'll be tell you this at the women's prison, I said that and two women, two of the prisoners in the front row stood up and said, where do we sign up? <laughs> and Susan stood up in the back row and said, you don't. <laughs> I'm sure she did. Um, you know, here's what I say about, about, about hard questions. Number one, and we'll use polygamy as an example. There's only two options. It's from God or it's not from God. And now if it's from God, as we said in the army, it's above my pay grade. But let's say for argument's sake, I'm not saying that polygamy wasn't from God, but that's for argument's sake, let's say it wasn't. Then it would be by definition a mistake. Now, the question you have to ask is, if a prophet makes a mistake, is he still a prophet? Yes. Peter denied. Abraham lied. Moses killed. Let's not even start talking about what Jonah did. The, 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 the job description for prophet isn't perfect. So what I tell people is, look, prophets are going to make mistakes. They're people. Okay. But if I go as an attorney and make a mistake in court tomorrow, which would never happen, but if I did, I would still be an attorney. Okay. If a school teacher says something wrong about a history thing, she gets the dates wrong. She's still a teacher. If a prophet makes a mistake, he's still a prophet. So I tell people, go back to the, go back to the basics, go back to the basics. Did he have the first vision? Yes. Did he translate the book of Mormon? Yes. And, and I, and I, I, I tell people, look, I have a college degree. My degree was in journalism. My minor was in English. I'm an attorney. I've written briefs. I'm a published author, a published poet. I've written songs. I've written poetry. I've written stories. With all of my education, all of my experience, I could not write the Book of Mormon. And yet detractors will want you to believe that an uneducated kid managed to do that very thing. I don't buy it. It's impossible. Read Second Nephi, that rich doctrine in Second Nephi, and tell me that that came from the mind of an uneducated man, young man, by the way. No, go back to the basics. And if you go back to the basics, what else matters after that? Did he make mistakes after that? Sure he did. Did that mean he wasn't a prophet? No. It means he was a human. 
And, you know, I, and I tell people, I don't know if anybody that's going to hear your, your, your podcast really understands a doctrine that there's a doctrine in the Protestant world called Sola Scriptura. And Sola Scriptura means if it's not in the Bible, it doesn't exist. You can't argue it. So they will never accept the Book of Mormon. And they don't believe that, that, that they believe that that, that God talking to prophets seized when, when the last apostle died. There was no more prophets. There's, you know, Christ was the last, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I had a friend ask me one time, he said, I can't believe that you believe in prophets. And I said, I can't believe that you don't. He said, really? I said, well, you got three kids, right? He goes, yeah. I said, here's do this. When they turn 18, bring them into your office and say, now that you're 18, I'm never going to talk to you again. I'm going to, you know, you, you, if you have questions in the future, you can look back at things that I said, look at your journals, think about our traditions, but I'm never going to talk to you again. And he said, I can't do that. I said, so what you're saying is you're a better father than Heavenly Father. He said, I never said that. I said, sure you did, because you believe that's exactly what God did. He said, after the, after the New Testament, I'm never going to talk to you again. Everything you need to know is in the Bible. That's Sola Scriptura. It's what you believe. Everything you need is in the Bible. You don't need anything else. I'm never going to talk to you again. He said, I never looked at it that way. I said, you got some time. So that's what I tell people. You're going to hear negatives about the church. You're going to hear things. And, and, and look, the church isn't perfect. I had... I had a guy look at me one day. He said, I need your help. I said, okay, I'll do what I can. He says, can you help me find the perfect church? I said, sure. He says, really? I said, absolutely. He says, how can I find the perfect church? And I said, die. You're never going to find the perfect church on this earth. It's not possible. We're not perfect. You don't look for the perfect church. You don't look for the church that made no mistakes in its past. You look for the church that has the keys, the prophet, because we need a prophet. You look at the church that has the eternal marriage, the, the, the keys to the kingdom, and we're in that church. <clears throat> doesn't mean it's perfect, but it has perfection inside it. And that's what you look for. You know, I had another couple walk up. We had a fireside. And the girl says to the to the husband, he says, uh, she says, points to her husband. So we, we recently married. He wants to leave the church because he heard some things that he never heard before. Can you help me? And I said, no, I really can't. But I do have a question for you. She said, what? I said, okay, y'all are newly married. And I said, uh-huh. And I said, okay, so you moved in together? Yep, just moved in together. I said, okay. And I looked at him. I said, okay, so now you've discovered that she doesn't put the cap on the toothpaste she squeezed the toothpaste in the middle of the tube. She doesn't put the toilet seat down. She she doesn't cook like your mother, and she's kind of a slob. Now, I don't know which of those were true, okay? But she but she was doing a lot of this um, when I was saying that. And I said, now, you found these things out. You don't like them. These are brand new to you. You didn't know this before. So is the love good enough that you stay in the marriage anyway, or you divorce her? And he said, I, I love her enough where I stay in the marriage anyway. I said, you just described the church. That is so good. And he looked at her and he said, we have some praying to do. Um, but that's kind of that's what I tell people. You, you, people tend to try to look at, at the past 
using their 2022 moral goggles and, and try to judge the past using their goggles of today's morality. And you can't do that. It's not fair to do that. And they, people that do that better hope that in 200 years, people aren't looking through their moral goggles and judging them what they're doing today. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to come short on a lot of things based on what's going to, what the, what the standard may be in 200 years. So, you know, d- people run into the danger of trying to judge the 1800s using 2020, 20, 2022 uh, ideals and morals and values. And it's, it's different world, different. You can't do that. It's not right, nor is it fair. So, Question for you. This is a hard question. So if you feel like you want to pass, no, no worries. But a lot of people have a really hard time with the LGBTQ community and the church and where that aligns. And it's, it's something that shakes a lot of people's testimony. And I'm curious what your thought is on that. My thought is that I will follow what the prophet says, you know, because if you accept that he's a prophet, and I do, then he's getting his instructions from God. Now, we don't always like our instructions from God. We don't always like to hear what God has to say. But that's what the, but, but, but what the prophet says is, is what we follow. And I don't expect that God's going to change because my values change. I expect that I'll change my values because God has his. And I don't expect that I'll change the rules because the rules, I want the rules changed around me or, or, you know, because I may have family who's LGBT, you know, BQ. Um, I, I, I may have family and, and I, I love that family. I love them. They're my, they're my family, but I'm not going to change the rules because I have that family. Okay. It doesn't mean I love them any less but I'm gonna follow the rules that God lays out through his prophet. And the minute that I start chipping away at that and say, I'm not gonna follow that, then I've started chipping away at the prophet. And then once you start chipping away at the prophet, then you end up chipping away at God. When you chip away at God, you, you're, you're, you're lost. When, when, when all the rules have gone, when all the rules are around you have gone and, you, and we've, we've changed the rules to meet our, 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 our personal needs, and, and, and there's no laws then to protect us. How do we stand against the winds that blow? I love that. So, okay, a couple questions. Um, do you have any, today, do you still have any doubts or concerns or things that bother you? Yeah, I have cancer. You mean about the church? I do mean about the church, <laughs> but if you want to elaborate on cancer and what it's taught you, we would love to hear it. I'll, I'll get there. Um, no, I don't. Because I put things in the perspective they need to be put. And, and because I've gotten the answers that I needed. And, and they're not answers that work for everybody, I'm sure, or that would work for everybody. But the Lord knew what I needed as answers, and thus the answers that I got. And they work for me. Um, uh, let me just give you an example. One of my issues was was uh, archaeology. I would tell Mike, if I can walk the streets of Jerusalem, I should be able to walk the streets of Zarahemla. 
And that was a big argument that he and I would have. It was a big thing, and I would never budge from that. And I didn't like his apologetics. Well, it's because the cities, the cities were in the jungles in Central and South America, and they, no, I've lived in Central America. They're not going to build their cities in the jungle. They're going to build them by the lakes and by the beach where they have food and there's not all the bugs and snakes everywhere. They're not going to build their cities in the jungle. Okay, it didn't work for me. But I had a dream. And in this dream, God says to me, if you walk the streets of Jerusalem, does that make the Bible true? And I said, no. And he said, but if someone's doing some archaeological dig and they, they find a sign and they wipe the sign off and it says Zarahemla, 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 population 400, what does that do to the Book of Mormon? And I said, it makes it unequivocally, absolutely true. And he said, then why would you need faith? Now that works for me. It means that we're not entitled to know everything right now. Maybe never, because we have to take some of this on faith. If there's no need for faith, then there's no need for God. And if, 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 we, if we're given everything, that, and if we're not required to have faith, then we'll never have those blessings that faith brings us. And I'll give you an example using my cancer. On January 2nd, I discovered the lump in my throat that turned out to be a lymph node that was infected. And I went to the doctor and they said, they looked at my throat, they could see the tumor in my throat. It had spread to my lymph nodes. And they, they did the test and found out it was malignant and that it had spread to my lymph nodes. Not once have I asked to be healed. Not once. What I asked for and what I continue to ask for is I said, Lord, I know you have the power to heal, but your will be done. If you think my time here is done, that means you've got plans for me somewhere else. If you don't think my time here is not is done, if you don't think it's done yet, then I'll be here. And when I got my blessing, I said, please do not ask in your blessing that I be healed. Ask for the Lord's will to be done. Ask for the doctor's hands to be guided. Now we'll tell you a little story. So one of the things they did was slice my throat open and took out 20 lymph nodes. And the doctor told me, your nerves surround the lymph nodes. So we're gonna, there's, it's unavoidable that we're going to be cutting nerves. So when you come out of surgery, it's very, very, very likely, if not probable, that, for example, you won't be able to raise your left arm over your shoulder. You won't be able to smile. There's other things because these nerves, it's, it, we, they're going to get cut. And we just can't avoid it. I go to surgery, four-hour surgery. I'm in the recovery room. They take me out. The doctor comes out and talks to my wife and says, it was incredible. And she said, what? And she said, we take a lymph node. They pulled out 20 lymph nodes. She said that we take a lymph node and the nerves just fell off of it. And we cut it. We took another lymph node. The nerves just fell off of it. We, we cut that one. Take another lymph. They did that 20 times and the nerves just fell off the lymph nodes. Wow. 
they did not cut a single nerve. Now, I didn't know all of that. All I knew is I come out of uh, out of anesthesia, and my first thing I did was lift my arm <laughs> over my head <laughs> and then try to smile and see if I could feel that I was smiling because I was still drugged up. But, uh, but yeah, you know, how does that not increase your faith? Yeah. That's amazing. You know, and, and, and it's not the miracle that increased my faith. It's the fact that you left it in the hands of the Lord and the Lord did his will. And when you're doing the Lord's will and not demanding the Lord do something, the blessing comes from that. And look, the answer may have been that I die. I was ready. I've lived a great life. You know, I've lived an amazing life. And if the Lord had something planned for me somewhere else, so be it. Wow. That is so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, okay. I have a couple questions that have come up. Where is Mike today? Are you still friends with him or? I hate his guts. No, um, <laughs> Mike and I are very good friends. He's in Springville. Awesome. Uh, cool. Where he has lived the whole time. Um, when I, when I, uh, well, and let me tell you another little story. Um, when I, when I got baptized, rebaptized, my wife said, the Southern Baptist said, I will, I will support you. I'll go to church with you. I'll go to functions with you, but I will never, ever, 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 ever get baptized. And I said, okay. And I never pressured her. Well, I would say, you know, baby, uh, my patriarchal blessing says I get sealed in the temple. I'd like it to be with you. Um, when I met with Elder Rupdorf, uh, he spoke to her. And he, he had a chat with her about the church and about bringing what you know and they'll add, will add to it. And he talked about the fact, he said, I know the dusty wants to be sealed to you. We'll, we'll save a place for you in the temple. Um, the next day, she said, I'm ready for the discussions. Wow. And a, a few months, a few weeks, months later, I was able to um, have that ex exquisite and very unique uh, uh, opportunity of baptizing my own wife. Wow. Then a year later, we were sealed in the Salt Lake Temple. Oh, my um, gosh. That is so cool. And she, you know... Mike was, Mike was there at my ceiling. Um, he's been to several of my firesides. I get to point him out and say, you know, there's, there's, there's the guy put my name in the temple every week for 20 years, you know, who to thunk it. But, but think about that. Think about the fact that here's a guy, he puts, he puts my name in the temple for, for every week for 20 years, never gives up, never stops praying despite the fact that, that I was so adamant that I would never join the church, the fact that I was such a vocal anti-Mormon, he never gave up. He never, ever gave up. Because of that, think about this. I don't know how many people are going to see your podcast, but there are going to be a few, right? Mm -hmm. There's people that have seen other podcasts that I've done. The one video I did with over a million views, the, the Saints Unscripted, YouTube video I did with Saints Unscripted, it's had 78,000 views. 
the over hundreds of thousands of people that saw the article online and in the hard copy of the LDS Living Magazine. Think about how many people have been touched by the story because he never gave up. Think about that. And think about that, that the ripple effect of that. I've had people contact me and tell me that they got rebaptized, that they were going to get leave the church but stayed because of the story, because of the firesides, because of the book, because of the magazine article, that they've, that they've come back to the church. I had one guy come to a fireside, and he said, was a member, not a member, never be a member, had faith, will never have faith again. And during my fireside, I opened up to questions, which I don't always do, but I did at this one. And he said, how can you have faith? How can you prove faith exists? And I said, I don't know, but let me ask you a question. Do you love your wife? He said, yes. I said, how do you show her that you love her? How does she know you love her? He goes, well, I'm nice to her. I said, so everybody you're nice to you love? He said, well, no. I said, well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that she loves you? He said, yes. I said, sounds like faith to me. The next day he messaged me, emailed me, and he said that he had already contacted his wife's bishop and was coming back to the church. A few weeks later, I got a, a, a message, an email asking him to come speak at his baptism. Wow. He is the great, great grandson of Brigham Young. Oh my gosh. Wow. So you think about how Mike doesn't give up and the things that it's done, the, the people that have heard the story, the people that have been touched by the story in the various forms I've given it, um, people that have come back to the church or I, I'm, I'm corresponding with a missionary now. He was, he came to a, a, a fireside and he was deciding not to go on his mission. And he said that, that the fireside changed his complete aspect and he went ahead and went on his mission and he and I are pen pals on his mission. Awesome. Um, he's having a great mission and he says it was the, that the, the, the fireside changed everything for him. And it's not me. It's the story, and it's the story of hope, the story of love, the story that God loves us so much that he brought me back to the church, that the atonement works. When I met with President Uchtdorf, he asked me, he said, do you have a testimony of the atonement? And I said, that's a trick question. He said, how is that a trick question? I said, because I believe in it for you. I believe in it for all y'all. Don't believe in it for me. He said, why not? And I dropped my head. And I said, because I spent 26 years doing everything I could to hurt the church, I don't deserve the atonement. And he softly said my name, Dusty. And I looked up and he had that smile on his face. You see a general comes kind of a half smile. And he said, your sins are forgiven. If that atonement can work for me, it works for everybody. And that's how much the Lord loves us. It's just that amazing love. He loves you, Ashley as much as if you were the only person on this planet. How incredible is that? Mm -hmm. That all the stuff he has going on, and he loves me. And he took care of my cancer, well, at least the surgery. And and he, 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 he caused these miracles that happened in my life to bring me back to the church. As busy as he is, he took his time to do that for me. And look what he did for you to bring you back. Yeah. 
of all the, the billions of people in the world, but he took you in the palm of his hand and brought you out of something bad into eternal life. How amazing is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't do anything that takes you out of the reach of Heavenly Father's arms. You can't do it. You can't do it. And I'll, I'll tell you a little story I always tell in my firesides. I talk about a, a play I was in when I was in high school called The Company of Wayward Saints. And it was a group of improvisationists who went around and they would act out whatever scene the audience gave them. And it was one of the scenes I played an old-time doctor who was doing a house call to do a, to deliver a baby. And I'm sitting on the front porch with the, with the um, prospective father. And he says, shouldn't you be doing something? And my, my response in the play was, when God's ready, he'll let us know. And he asks me in the play, you believe in God? And my response in the play was this. That's a difficult question for a man of science to answer. But I will tell you this. I know that God believes in me. And no matter what you do to God, no matter what you say to God, no matter turn your back on God, no matter, he will never, ever, ever, ever stop believing in you. And that's kind of cool to think that the most powerful being in, in, in all creation, our loving father believes in us. Mm-hmm. Whether we believe in him or not, he believes in us. And that kind of gives you a perspective, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that so much. Um, so, okay. So we've got about seven minutes left. I have, a couple more questions for you. I've had um, several people reach out to me and say, um, what can, if you have a spouse that's leaving the church or having a faith crisis, what is the best way to approach your spouse or, you know, maybe even a family member that's having a faith crisis, or maybe they're just out of the church, anti-Mormon, like, what is the best way to approach them? And yeah, from your, from your perspective. Love them. Do what Mike did. Never give up. Call me. I can't tell you how many people have called me over the last several years. Cause I'll, I'll, I'll talk to anybody who wants to talk and I've talked to spouses before and I've, you know, Sometimes you can help, sometimes you can't, sometimes is, you know, but I always believe that they're going to come back at some point. They're going to come back and you just love them. You don't argue with them. You invite them to the functions and don't get upset if they say no. You invite them to church and don't get upset if they say no. Be joyful and cheerful. Don't argue. Don't fight. Pray for them. Love them. And again, if, if, if it helps to talk to a third party, a neutral third party, not a bishop, who's not a bishop, not their bishop, not their state president. I'm not saying ignore those people, but a lot of times the last thing that a spouse leaving the church wants or questioning a church wants to do is talk to the bit to the bishop, you know, yeah. because they know the answers they're going to get. And 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 bishops typically don't have that experience of leaving the church and coming back. Mm-hmm. So find somebody like me who has left and come back. Make your, you know, I'm available. You're, you have my, you have my email. If anybody messages you and wants to give me my, you know, yeah. I have a Facebook public figure 
page that that you can contact me and 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 all my this podcast will be on there and a link yeah. to it and all the podcasts the videos the book the magazine article elder Rudorf's talk in general all linked on my on my public figure facebook page um that's so generous of you my personal too i have two personal and public figure not on my personal one uh there's more you can do both if you want to i have hundreds of friends i don't know they just friended me because they saw fireside or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know yeah yeah awesome so okay one last question for you what you've had a lot of really incredible experiences in your life that have happened and what advice would you give to somebody who maybe doesn't feel like they've had major experiences that have anchored them to the gospel, or maybe they, they struggle to feel the spirit or to recognize those miracles? What advice would you, would you give to those people? I get that a lot. I get people to walk up to me and say, I pray for one miracle in my life and you've had so many. And my answer is always the same. You have them too. The difference is I see them. I don't believe in coincidence. And I I say, you know, there's little miracles happen in your life every day. Think back to how you met your spouse if you're married and you're in love. How'd you meet? Was it just a chance meeting? Did they just happen to be someplace when you were there? Hmm. Is that a coincidence or is that a miracle? Were they put there in that, in your space, that moment, that day, you know, you know, you think about it, how many, if you just go back 12 generations, how many hundreds of thousands of people, I mean, how many thousands of people had to do the right thing at the right time for you to be here today? They didn't, they couldn't die. They couldn't get sick. They couldn't, they, you know, they, they not until, not until they progenerate, you know, to, to have their children, to have children, to have, to, to have you, and that branch goes out. It's, it's literally thousands of thousands of people over 12 generations that had to do the right thing at the right time, at the right moment with the right person for you, you to be on this earth at this time. That's a miracle. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if, if you, you just look back at things that happened in your life and say, why did I do that? Why did I choose that over that? Because you were guided by something. What was it? And if you recognize, you know, some, sometimes the Lord parts the sea, but usually he just whispers and, and you have to tune your, tune your spirit to hear those whispers and to recognize, and then to thank him for those whispers, thank him for those miracles, you know, thank him that, that, that he, that he loved you enough to grant you that little piece of, of heaven for that moment, that, that miracle. Um, Susan, I mean, I haven't told you half the miracles that have happened that I could point to, um, that have happened since 2015, but again, I see them. Yeah. And anybody can if they look hard enough. But people are willing to be, oh, it's just a coincidence. <laughs> coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. Yep. I love that. That is so beautiful. Well, Dusty, thank you so much for taking this time. I am just just chills the whole the whole hour here. And I'm just so, so grateful that you took this time with me. And I know this is going to help so many people. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm a, if, if anybody wants to chat with me, I, I still do firesides. Um, uh, if anybody has a question, you can, they can yes. contact you to get in touch with me. I'll be glad to speak with anybody um, through email, through telephone, whatever. I'm always available. 
or I'll make myself available because that's what we do. We, we help, um, we become that, you know, light as, mm-hmm. as best we can. I've got a lot of making up to do for 26 years of hurting. Love that. Well, thank you so much. And, um, I will link everything, uh, so that people can be in touch with you. I appreciate you. Thank you.